Thanks for letting us in your, in your home today, in your residence. We are so honored that you would do that and you would take the time to join us for worship. And we appreciate uh, all of our guests and all of our uh, first-timers or people who've just gotten to know us since we've been live streaming. Thank you so much. We're so pleased and we're so grateful that you've let us in your home today. I so appreciate our worship team, our technical team. In fact, I just got a letter today that I want to read to you. It's from Gene Morphus, who's a member of our church. Uh, he said, Pastor Phil, please tell your entire team congratulations and thanks from Pam and me. I know enough about live streaming and inserting graphics to understand that effort was not trivial. Best, Gene Morphus. So Gene's been in the corporate world for many years, and so he knows something about what it takes. So I want to say thanks to, to my guys and gals who've been doing this every week and making sure that you can worship, we can worship together as a church. We've really discovered, haven't we, that the church is not a building, but it's the people of God. And I'm so grateful that you have been such an amazing congregation and you've made this some of the, one of the greatest times that we'll always remember. A couple of things I word today. I want to tell you about First Steps. First Steps is, is for those of you that are exploring Life, faith, and purpose in Christ. You've just made the decision to follow Christ, or you want to just check it out. We've got four special videos on Christ, the church, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. So I hope you'll avail yourself of those. Click that link on the screen. And after you finish watching them, if you want more information that will help you in your faith journey, please let us know. I also would like to give you the opportunity to learn more about our church today and more about the ministry. Uh, I'll be available after the service in a special Zoom room, and uh, you can meet with me, and I'd love to, if you're new or you're a recent uh, uh, check-in with us during this live stream, I'd love to meet with you and, and get to know you and tell you more about our church. So please avail yourself of that. We've heard some incredible counsel and wisdom about how to manage crises in the last six weeks, haven't we? We've heard about courage, we've heard about faith, we've heard about perseverance, and we've heard about loving one another. All great advice. I wouldn't change a thing that we have said here and so much that I've heard from other sources. There's been a lot of content, a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders, both inside the church and outside the church, have given us some great counsel. Well, I want to share some counsel today that you probably haven't heard. Now, it's not just related to the coronavirus. In fact, from what I can see and from what I can hear, uh, we, we have a, a lot, I have a lot of optimism that we are, we are going to get back to uh, our normal lives and not too distant future. But what I'm going to share today, I believe, has more to do with, your, with the rest of your life and the life as it will be, hopefully in a few days or a few weeks, when we're, everybody's back in our jobs and we're going to restaurants and we're enjoying that life that we've kind of laid aside for a while. I was di directed to this thought by an article by N.T. Wright. And here's the article, er, er, I'm not going to read the article to you, but here's a, a quote from the article. The title of the article, it's a very provocative title. It says, Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus. Kind of an uh, interesting title. In the article, he says, Rationalists want explanations. Romantics want to be given a sigh of relief. But perhaps what we need more than either is to recover the biblical tradition of lament. Lament is what happens when we ask God why 
and don't get an answer. So I want to talk to you today. The title of my message today is The Loss of Lament. Uh, Reclaiming the power of holy grief. The Bible says we sorrow as not as those who have no hope. So we're not just talking about sorrow. We're talking about something that will release the power of God in your life in a new way. In the Bible, lament was a tool that God's people used to navigate pain and suffering in their lives. In the Bible, we, we, in, in the Bible it was uh, literally meant, lament meant, it meant to express sorrow, mourning, or regret in prayer. It's a form of prayer. You know, one-third of all psalms were laments. It's a tool that's been left in the bottom of a lot of our spiritual toolboxes. It's a tool, especially in this 21st century, we, we deal with our problems using positivity, we, using uh, self-reliance, using, uh, using our, our rationality. We deal with our problems using rage. And you know, all of those tools are, are, all those tools are effective. We, we, need, we need to have positivity. And you probably, at, at your work, you probably have posters with motivational sayings as you go down the halls of your company, right? Thank God for those that whatever the mind can conceive, man can achieve, and those kinds of statements that motivate us. And, and rationalization is important, that we, we be able to find answers. It's a scientific approach to our problems. But unfortunately, it's kind of what Job's friends did. When Job's friends came to see him for seven days, they lamented with him, and then they became research scientists. And they began to feel like we have to have answers. And especially in the church, especially as Christians, we feel like we've got to have answers. We've got to be able to, we've got to, be able to say why. Uh, we, we say things like God sent the coronavirus so he could teach us uh, to love one another, so he could teach us to appreciate one another, so he could teach us to care about one another. Now, first of all, you don't know that God sent this plague on the world. Because we want answers so bad, and we, uh, the, the human brain doesn't like a void. We don't like not having answers, so we try to rationalize things and figure things out. And uh, of, course there's, of course there's self-reliance. We've been taught to pull ourselves up our own bootstraps, by, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We've been taught to, to, to use grit to get through the problems of life and the difficulties of life. But... What about the one tool that we find in Scripture that the Bible also includes for getting through the problems of life, the difficulties of life? You know, I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful that they understood the power of holy grieving, of pouring out our heart to God, their heart to God. I remember um, when... Uh, I remember my brother was, was 17 years old, going the total wrong way, a lot of alcohol, uh, a lot of rebellion. His, his goal was, I'm, I'm gonna, after I graduate from high school, I'm going to move to California. And, and those times were very different times now. It was kind of where, back in our home in Texas, that's kind of where you went. If you, if you wanted to get into a lifestyle that was different than a small Texas town, you went to California. Uh, just to put it in context, one of the people that my brother rode the school bus with 
was a person that the world came to know later as Tex Watson. And he, he rode the school bus in our, near in our, uh, down the road in our little Texas town. And Texas, Tex Watson went to California, and he's still in prison today from the murder of Sharon Tate. That happened many years ago, but uh, that's, the kind of, that's the times we were in. And my brother's life would not, he wouldn't be working with the homeless in Atlanta, Georgia today if he had gone to California, I don't think. But I remember, you know, during this time when my, when my brother's life w was so rebellious, I remember coming home from school in our little house on Hamilton Street in McKinney, Texas. I remember coming home from school and finding my mother on the floor crying out to God, weeping over what was, what was going on in my brother's life. And I'll never forget that day when his 55 Ford was in the driveway and the transmission was all over the driveway. And my mother went to my brother in tears and said, Joe, would you go to church tonight? Joe went to church that night, sat on the back row, but at the end of that service, he gave his life to Christ. And the whole direction of his life changed. I remember the next day getting up, and I couldn't believe my eyes. This person who had been so rebellious, so rude, so unkind to everybody, this person who had been going a totally different direction puts his Bible on top of his books and goes to school in, in his senior year of high school. That illustration embedded into me in, 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 in a way that I can never forget the power of lament. I'm grateful for that. It's strange that we would abandon weeping before God and lament because it is so much in the Bible Biblical prophets would sit in sackcloth and ashes to lament the state of the, the world around them and the state of their nation. The, probably the most uh, famous book in the last 25 years is, uh, uh, is the, the Prayer of Jabez. Prayer of Jabez, probably the most popular book in recent times. What's that story about, those of you who've read that book? That story is about someone who cried out in pain and God answered them. And, of course, there's, it, someone would say to me, well, all that's Old Testament. But the New Testament, Acts chapter 8, verse 2, says some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. That's in the New Testament. So, see, some people, one thing that happens to Christians is we often think, well, Jesus went to the cross and Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We, we're not going to have any problems anymore. We're not going to have sorrow. But the entire Christian religion is built on the foundation of a Jesus who lamented. You could say that the entire re Christian religion is built on the foundation of a lamenting Lord. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who would rescue him from death, and God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Jesus was neither a superhero or a wizard. He was moved with compassion. Jesus' secret sauce was that he wept over people, that he had deep feelings. Lament was his secret sauce. He could heal the blinded eyes because he wept over blind people. He could raise the dead because he wept over grieving families. He could deliver the, those in bondage and those addicted and those in de under demonic powers, he could deliver them because he wept over people who were in bondage. He could save 
the nation of Israel because he wept over Israel, literally. He could save the world because he wept over the world. Perhaps, uh, you know, uh, I've been running prayer meetings for about 40 years, and I've got to be honest, I haven't seen very many tears. I haven't seen very many times when people really came together and really sorrowed over the things that they needed God to change. In the biblical times, they had something called stoicism. Stoicism is the endurance of pain without the display of feeling and without complaint. It came from an ancient Greek school of thought that rose up in Athens during Jesus' time. And it was during that time that, that they taught that the highest virtue was to live in harmony with divine reason and be indifferent to pleasure or pain. In other words, have no emotion. Have no emotion about what's going on around you. Some people think that's faith. They think that's faith to have no sadness, no sorrow, no normal emotion but what, about what is going around you. But let me tell you something. When Christ comes into your life, when he fills you with his spirit, he makes you a better human. He makes you a, a, a healthier human. He, he, he makes you a person who can relate to the people around you. You can't relate to somebody who has, who has, no, uh, who has no sorrow. You can't relate to somebody who doesn't feel pain. Let me give you some advice today from Psalms chapter 13. Hopefully you're one of those people who when the preacher preaches, you like to get your Bible out and you like to just park your eyes on the text he's going to read from. So I'm going to go to Psalms chapter 13. And this is, Psalms chapter 13 is a prayer that teaches us how to lament, how to, how to do righteous grieving. Uh, Psalms 13 and a whole bunch of other passages in the Psalms teach us three things. It teaches us to grieve, to plead, and to believe. To grieve, to grieve I should have said, to plead and believe. Grieves. Let's read verse 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now, in this passage, David asked four times, how long? Now, that's a man who's frustrated, would you say? That's a man who's had it. That is a man who is emotionally exhausted. That's a man that feels worn down. Perhaps you today are feeling worn down. What are you feeling worn down by? Children who, like my brother, are turning away from faith, going down a path, and you're worried about them? A culture that mocks your faith and family values? A purpose and meaning in life that's just eluding you. You know, this past week, Chris Como at CNN said this, I don't like what I do professionally. He said, I don't think it's worth my time. I don't think I'm mean enough. I don't think I matter enough. I don't think I can really change in these things, so what am I really doing? Ever think that the starting point for real change, I would say to Chris Como, I would say, Chris, Ever think that that's the starting point of real change? 
If you would just move that cry to God, I will promise you if he will move that cry to God, that's a lament. What, what Chris Como gave us was a lament. If, if, if Chris Como will move that lament to God, he will get revelation from God about what he is to do with his life. That's how God has wired us. God has wired us to grieve over things that grieve him. God has wired us to grieve over things that are not as he intended them to be. I hope you can hear me today. We're missing the therapeutic benefits of holy lament. We're missing the therapeutic benefits of grieving. Grieving and, and lament reconnects the brain and the heart. I said it reconnects the brain and the heart. We think and we feel. God wants to put those two together. And when we bring our heart and our mind into his presence, our soul and our spirit into his presence, then we begin to flourish as human beings. We're also missing the soul-cleansing detox, I would call it, of lament. The soul-cleansing detox of lament. When you habitually refuse to lament over, over that which is lamentable, there develops this disconnect, as I talked about a second ago, between your heart and your brain that makes you incapable of a whole range of healthy human habits, including empathy for others and sensitivity to normal social graces. That's why a child, if you have a child and you constantly protect them from being unhappy, you will have a child who will grow up in it with the inability to love other people. The inability, you, you will have a child that will grow up uh, socially dwarfed and socially malformed if you have a child that you're determined that they're never to be happy or, or, and, and, or if you uh, never disciplined them to the point of tears, and I'm not suggesting abusing a child at all, please, but if you never, if you never meet out a discipline that they will cry over, then, you're, then you will not have a child that grows up healthy and, and really able to, able to live their lives in a way that with love and care and responding to other people and, and even doing proper self-care. You see, God has designed us. God has designed us to need a certain amount of grief. Not all the time, of course, but once in a while. The, you know what the most important thing if you skip? If you skip sadness and you say, I'm not going to have any sadness in my life, I'm never going to be sad, the most important thing you're missing is the theological principle that God is God and we are not. See, if your only tools for getting through life are positivity, I'm just going to be positive about this, or uh, rationalization, I'm, I'm, I'm going to always find the answers I'm going to find the scientific solution to everything I'm going through. Or self-reliance. I'm always going to use grit to get through. Or I'm going to always use rage. You know, people are using rage to the extreme today. I don't know if any of the rest of you are on Twitter like I am. But I'll tell you, there's some rageaholics out there. They're using rage. It's like you've heard the saying, a, a, car, a, a, a carpenter tends to, to see... Uh, every problem, uh, you know, uh, 
see every problem as a nail that needs a hammer. That's what happens when people want to use rage. If I just rage against things, then they will get better. No, those tools all have their place. But the tool that I'm talking about today, and the one that I feel like we've abandoned in the culture today, is the, the tool of simply crying out to God. Simply turning to lament and saying, God, like the ancient Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, there was an ancient king named Jehoshaphat who was surrounded by the armies of Amalekites who came against Israel. He was outnumbered 100 to 1. Now, all those other tools I mentioned, he could have made all the positive assertions that he wanted to. He could have raged at the situation. He could have, he could have taken all his, his generals into a room and tried to rationally figure out how can we defeat the Amalekites. But none of that was going to work that day. But you know what Jehoshaphat did? Jehoshaphat prayed this prayer. He said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I don't know what to do, Lord. That's a lament. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are up on you. And you know what happened? God gave him a creative solution. He did the most irrational thing that a person could ever do. Instead of sending his army out there to face the Amalekites, he sent his worship team. He sent the choir. And the choir went out in front of the army singing, The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. You see, when you start going to God without answers, when you start going to God just being emotionally honest, then God begin, can begin to give you creative solutions that you would have never thought of before. Somebody watching me right now, you're at home and you're really, really, really concerned about the direction your teenagers are going. You're really concerned about the direction that they're going and you've tried all those other tools that I mentioned. You've certainly tried rage. <laughs> you, you've certainly used the tool of rage. How many, how many of you out there have used the tool of rage with your teenagers? But you've never tried grieving in the presence of God. You've never tried what my mother did. You've never tried going into the bedroom, closing the door, lying down or sitting up. I don't care your bodily posture. But say, God, we don't know what to do. My wife and I, my husband and I, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I'm telling you, there's a power available to you and the power available to every human being watching this today, a power available to you that if you will humble yourself before God and, and practice holy grieving about that which you don't know what to do anything about, God is waiting on us to give him a chance to be God. That's what I mean. When we, when we refuse to lament, one of the greatest tragedies is we don't allow ourselves to admit that we're not God, but He is. Because all those other tools I mentioned are things that I do under my own power. So, grieve, though, must lead to plead. Psalms chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, and light my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Now many of us in the faith community know about a, some language that some of you out there who were raised in more traditional churches. And uh, you did high church. 
you won't, you won't be familiar with this language. But we use language like binding, loosing, and claiming. These are the tools. These are the favorite tools of where I came from as a child in the body of Christ. Was binding, loosing, and claiming. We would actually say things like, we bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. We, we claim our healing. We, we loose the power of God in this place. You know, I'm not, I still pray like that sometimes. I, I, I believe that there is authority in being a believer, but they're not silver bullets. They're just part of the tools in the tool, toolbox. Listen, there are times in your life when taking authority is exactly what you need to do. But there will be times in your life, like in the book of Psalms, like in Psalms chapter 13, when all of your claiming and all of your binding and all of your loosing is not going to change the circumstances that you're in. So what do you do? When my confidence is high, sometimes I can just say, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, and man, it works. Sometimes I say, rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and he doesn't move. <laughs> well, the Bible knew that that was, so, it's so abnormal for us to act like there's only one way to have a relationship with God and a relationship with life that's successful. Look at Romans 8, 26. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses we do not know what to pray for. Underline that in your Bible. We do not know what to pray for. You say, well, I always know what to pray for. I always know what to claim. I always know what, I know exactly what, what God wants to do with the coronavirus. I know, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how to pray about some things right now. He says, we do not know how we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that cannot be expressed with words. David, can, look at David. He says, listen, hear, you know, he says, hear, hear. In other words, God, I'm done talking. I need, I need to turn this over to you. He said, enlighten my eyes. That's not a prayer for insight, but for energy and vitality. See, David knew what was at stake. He knew it wasn't, David wasn't afraid to die. This is not what this text is about. David wasn't afraid to die. This wasn't about being afraid to die. David knew that if he died, that adversary was going to mock him, and that adversary was going to move in. Israel had had a history of being taken into slavery, a history of having their temple destroyed. And you that are watching me right now, you have some things that there's a lot at stake in you succeeding in the thing that you're worried about right now. There's a lot at stake, and you know it's not just about you. It's about your family. It's about your community. It's about your business. It's about your church. Now that leads us. See, lament is a transitional event. You must move. It's, this is very important. So you can get stuck in grieving. You can get stuck in pleading. But this is this is a transitional psalm. You must move from grieve to plead to believe. Psalms 13, verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, we confuse lamenting with doubt. 
Lamenting is not doubt. In fact, lamenting and mourning are the ultimate expressions of faith. A lament, I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to see this on the screen. I want you to see it. A lament is not doubt. Instead, it is a way of saying to, it, it is a way to highly exalt the Creator because you are saying, God, things are not as you intended them. You're too good, too beautiful, and too creative and awesome for this to be your ultimate will. A lament is saying, God, I believe in you. Now, now David would have been shocked to think that some of you believe lamenting is the opposite of faith. David, who would have been like, what are you talking about? Complaining, grieving, mourning, mourning and, and lamenting. I do that because I trust God so much. Because I have such a great relationship with God, I know that he can handle my negativity. I know he can handle my expression of pain. Righteous grieving is not a sign of hopelessness. It's the bold assertion that hopelessness is unacceptable. Lament doesn't bind the miraculous power of God. It releases it. Remember Jehoshaphat? We don't know what to do. God gave him that creative formula. His grief released the miracle power of God. Lament focuses on two important ways the problem gets solved. We see we try to ignore the problem and then God waits to welcome us into his throne room that's number one and when we get into the throne room we find grace to help not in our time of no need but our time of need God honors desperate boldness Israel in Egypt we see this Nehemiah 9:9. the Bible says God saw the anguish of your parents in Egypt there's Hannah the, the woman in the Old Testament who who wept so much for a son that, that the, the, the priest, Eli, thought she was drunk. Have you been so disturbed about something in the presence of God that someone would have thought you were taking something? God honors desperate boldness. And in the New Testament, in the ministry of Jesus, there's a guy named Blind Martimaeus who sat by the road, who cried, Oh, Jesus Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And he kept crying it. He didn't ask for justice. He asked for mercy. That was a lament. Now, today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to emotional honesty. I want to challenge you to emotional honesty. I want to challenge you to deep humility. And I want to challenge you to complete trust. Those three things, those three things, emotional honesty, deep humility, and complete trust, that's what it really means to bring to God your lament. If everything is in your order, everything in your life is in order, you may not need this sermon too much right now. But if there's some of you sitting in front of your TV or front of your computer screen that you know that your life right now and things in your life are not as God intended them to be. See, that's what it means to really mourn and lament before God. You're saying, God, I know that you're too good of a God. And I know that you created the world too perfect that there's things in my life that are not as you intended them to be. God I want you to show me how 
to fix it. I want to hand it to you so you can fix it. Maybe there's no way I can fix it. And that's primarily what we're talking about. We're things... We're talking about things in your life that there's nothing you can do. There's no buttons you can push. There's no words you can say. But you're going to really put something in the hands of God. And unless he gets back to you with instructions, you're going to put it in the hands of God. We used to sing an old song, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Sometimes that's exactly what you can do. And sometimes that's exactly what you need to do. I'm so delighted right now to introduce somebody to you that's going to sing a song to you that's going to minister to you. Uh, Jimmy Mayo the fourth is, happens to be my, I mentioned my brother earlier in this sermon. Well, Jimmy Mayo the fourth is my brother's son-in-law, my niece's husband. And he's going to share a song with you right now that I believe is going to speak to you. After he sings, I'm going to come back and I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you about that situation that is causing you and giving you an occasion to go to God and say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you.
I want you to pray with me right now. I feel, I really feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just as though we're all in this room together. I feel, I feel you're in the auditorium with me right now. And I, I believe the power of God. See, God wants to show up in power in your life. We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. God wants to show up in power in your life. And I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now that's going to welcome him to take the steering wheel of your life. Going to welcome him to become the Lord of your life right now. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I bring before you, I bring before you this circumstance, this problem that's more than I can handle. Father, connect my emotions and my feelings with your feelings. Help me to feel the burden that you feel for my problems. Help me to feel the grief that you feel for what's not the best in my life. God, you sent your son to the cross to make things as you intended them to be. So I know how seriously you take it when things in my life are not as you intended them to be. So, Father, I grieve because you grieve. I am sad today because you are sad. Because you said in your word that you will cause all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, Father, because of that, we know that you have decided that we would have a life that is blessed, that we would have a flourishing life with our families and a flourishing life with the world around us. So, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we declare you are Lord. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we release it all to you in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us with the sermon today, with worship, with prayer. I hope you will join me um, in the, uh, I guess we could call it the virtual hospitality guest lounge, and talk to me, and let's talk about our church and whatever you want to talk about. God bless you. Have a wonderful, victorious day.